to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to episode 14 of the Life Lessons podcast. How are you today, Sherry? I'm doing great, Jen. I'm finally well. I feel like I was sick last week. Well, I'm glad you're better. Yeah. I've yeah, been, been watching you get better. Yeah. So I don't know, the last two weeks, ever since we had the Vibration Play episode out, has been so fun in the Facebook group. Everybody's, you know, been jumping in. They've all got great questions. And um, Joel's been jumping in and answering some questions. And it's just exciting. Like, I love that everybody's really enjoyed that podcast. And it really opened up their their thinking. And they've come back to the Facebook group to talk about it all. And as they've ordered their vibration plates, they're all excited. And they're sharing them. That's our most listened to episode to date as far as, like, at this point in time. You know, because every episode goes up, up, up over time as people are finding the podcast and listening to episode one. But that vibration plate episode had the highest, you know, listeners on day one and it's passing ones that were earlier. So I'm glad it was popular. Joel was great. We love Joel. Yeah. Well, and it's just dark and gloomy and it's been raining outside. And so I think people are just looking for ways to move their body and feel better right now. I think so. Absolutely. What have you been up to? Oh, just so many things. I'm just so busy. I've got a lot going on and I always keep starting new projects all the time. So new <laughs> projects. Like I'm in the middle of a I have a book deadline the end of March. And instead I just am starting a whole new project that's also huge. <laughs> anyway. Somebody that we're gonna have as a guest on our podcast coming up. I talked to her the other day and I didn't even tell you this. She's gonna send us her book. And she said, you know, if you get a chance to read it or if you talk to me. That'd be great. But if you don't, don't worry about it. And I said, oh, well, I'll totally read it. I promise you that. But I said, I happen to know that Jen is like knees deep in books right now, working on a project. So I can't promise you she has time for like um, pleasure reading right now. But I said, she'll get to it. So that's right. And I'll be your sidekick. You you could <laughs> come up with the great <laughs> questions and I'll <laughs> the pressure. Uh, yeah, you can do it. You're great at that. Anyway, there's a lot going on. But, you know, I thrive when I have a lot to do. So that's my life's always been like that. I remember my last semester, no, next to last semester in college, I was the chairman of, I went to Wake Forest. We had something called the Brian Piccolo Cancer Fund Drive because Brian Piccolo was a football player at Wake Forest. And he ended up playing for the Chicago Bears, I believe. And then he had testicular cancer and he died. And if you've seen the movie Brian's Song. I have not. That was all about Brian Piccolo. His daughters were at Wake Forest with me. But I was the campus-wide chair of this big fundraiser and also the chair for my sorority. And I was, oh, doing my student teaching at the same time. (laughs) 
which meant that, I mean, I had to work like a full-size teacher, you know, going in at the same time, doing all the work. But I got more done that semester than ever. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm getting a lot done. So now's the time. I'll read that book. I was going to say, you and I are similar in that way that we're like, by the time we finish up one thing, suddenly we've taken on two more. So we like to juggle a lot of plates. Well, every episode, we start with our good news segment. And today we have a good news segment from Jen from Iowa. And uh, she wrote in and she said, I work with an amazing lady named Natalie. She's the school liaison for a school district. And she really is so much more than her title. Her real title should be the Saint of Madison County. Her job is to work with families in the school district to help them with life struggles. She literally works 24-7. She gets calls at all hours of the day and night to help people. Her and her husband, who was a high school counselor, have given not only a great amount of resources to families in need, but they also have opened their home to children in need of shelter and love. After their own children had grown up and moved out, it would have been easy for them to start to enjoy having some free time to travel and relax, but their hearts knew that there were children in the community who needed a safe home to live in. They now spend their evenings after work attending sporting events, helping with homework, and all the other things that families do when they have school-aged children. Natalie is a great friend to all that she meets. She goes out of her way to see how you are doing. If you ask her a question, she makes sure she finds you the best answer. You never feel rushed or ignored when you talk to her. When she is with you, she truly listens, which is magic because her phone is constantly ringing and somehow she takes care of it all while she is completely engaged with you. Natalie is a true angel, and she deserves to be recognized for the incredible work she does. Well, Jen, thank you so much for sharing that story. And, you know, I think every community has got the Natalies out there that are really just keeping things going. And, you know, um, so often it is the the school liaison at the school district. We had some great, you know, social workers and people that worked in that role in my school system as well. You know, we would get emails, you know, does anybody have a spare bed? Uh-huh. And and we were all like, yeah, you know, we helped out when we could. You know, and we've talked before about, you know, I think people really do have a true calling to help people. And a lot of times people think, oh, well, I can't solve this problem. But I like to think of it as like a drop in the bucket. So if you put a drop in the bucket and somebody else puts a drop in the bucket, pretty soon you have a full bucket. So just if everybody just does what they can in their own way, then our communities really benefit That's exactly right. All right. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And this week, I'm going to talk about Pampered Chef. I've had Pampered Chef products in my kitchen since the 1990s, really. And it's because they stand the test of time. Sherry, have I talked about the salt and pepper grinders before? I don't know if you've talked about them before. Well, you have them, right? Yeah, because I'm the one that told you you needed them. Okay. I knew that you told me I needed them. So I, I was thinking that you did have them. Um, but, you know, I have had so many different salt and pepper grinders over the years. I mean, this sounds kind of dumb, but <laughs> you know how hard they are all to fill. Mm-hmm. 
the um, Pampered Chef salt and pepper shakers have a design like none I've ever seen. You just twist the top off and you do not make a mess when you're filling them. And I'm like, I've like made my husband watch me. I'm like, look, I just screw it off. Because <laughs> I always make him do it. They all had that pole through the middle and things would fall apart. Now you've got salt all over the kitchen. Anyway, j- their products are, are just like that salt and pepper shaker. They're just good products. The thing that I notice the most too, I have a wrist that bothers me. And a lot of the salt and pepper grinders, like they're hard to grind. Like I just feel like it's work to grind them. And those are so like effortless. You just barely twist them and you get you know, fresh salt and pepper. I also have a set at the beach. I got one for home and one for the beach because at the beach condo, I didn't, you know, I'm learning about living at the beach, but everything gets hard as a rock. The salt, I left salt there in a regular shaker and I came back after the winter last spring and it was like a solid rock hard. So I'm like, whoop, gotta have the, gotta have a grinder. So I got a set for the beach. So I also want to talk about the stoneware. Um, I replaced all my stoneware pans because they had gotten broken over the years, but my favorite thing to do is roast vegetables in the bar pan. You do that as well, right? Yes. I they, love they, my bar pan. It's such a good, it's like different than a metal pan, the way that the, you know, the vegetables get roasted so well. I toss them in a little olive oil, roast them, and now the pans are dishwasher safe. So I wanted to point out that they're out of stock right now. Did you know that, Sherry? I did. Bar pan, I mean, all the stoneware, all the stoneware. They don't have a single piece of stoneware. We're recording this in late January. So hopefully by the time this comes out, they'll be back in stock. But if not, you can get on the waiting list. And this is something that you're going to want to have if you don't have it. Anyway, go to jenstevens.com slash pamperedchef to shop and every purchase helps us bring you the podcast. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. We have a guest today. Her name is Erin Quinn. She's the founder of an organization called We Care. And I want to preface this just by warning our listeners that today's topic is in regards to intimate partner violence. So if that's something that is a sensitive subject to you and you need to come back to this at a different time, please do so. We Care helps educate people of all ages on how to identify abuse, get help, and embrace healthy relationships. So I'm just going to turn this over to Erin now and let her explain her history and how this came about. Hi, ladies. I'm so blessed and so happy to be here. That might sound crazy. Why would I be happy to be discussing such a difficult subject? But just seeing your faces, I feel oh, hard. It's good to see your face. Too. Good. <laughs> We're all grateful to be here because someone who's listening is going to need to hear this because of what they're going through now, what they went through in the past, or what they're going to go through in the future. And so that's why we're all grateful to have the platform to share you. Or even not them. It could be a loved one. It could be a daughter, a friend, a sister. See, you just love that you have so much knowledge already, just so much wisdom already right here. I'm just going to dive right in and, you know, ask away or interrupt or you, my name is Aaron Quinn and I founded uh, We Are um, We Care some years ago. And, you know, everybody always asks, you know, why did you do that? And, you know, the obvious answer, it's not too hard to guess is because I had that intimate partner abuse in my past. I am an adult child survivor of domestic violence in my home when I was a little baby and a young girl. And like many people who are in a home with any type of dysfunction, I just did not learn those good, healthy patterns. And so, you know, the next relationship was somehow turned out to be abusive. And then, okay, I'm not going to do that again. But then it was abusive again. And I'll tell you, I had to really take a few years off and stop and think about things. And I found this organization 
And yeah, if you're listening, I just want you to know that this is a subject where there's a lot of laughter and a lot of tears. And if you're in the middle of this, or you get to the end of this and you feel uncomfortable or a little depressed or a little upset, that's pretty normal because intimate partner abuse is traumatizing at any age. You could be 88 and be in an abusive relationship. You could be the sister of someone going through abuse or the mom or the colleague or the best friend. And you're going to absorb that trauma. And having this conversation today is really healing. Really, we're going to lift the lid off some myths and just encourage you to say something. Let somebody know if you've been keeping it a secret and definitely get some good help. Don't feel at the end of this podcast that there's something wrong with you. If you feel upset or a little shaken by it, this is pretty traumatizing. Right. And uh, you got to take care of yourself. So if that's a salt bath or a chocolate bar or going to, you know, sit in front of the fire with your best friend or go grab your little dog or kitty. Amen to that. Well, there's a lot of shame, right? Because people feel like, you know, they feel like it's their fault when it's not. And, you know, Jen, this is what I love about you, because that's my first bullet point. I'm good. <laughs> you didn't even know it. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. That's you the thing. Did it. Cause it. We keep it inside because we're like, if I were just better, if I were something, if I were prettier, if I were smarter, if I knew, kept my mouth shut, then this wouldn't happen to me. But it's not you. You know, if I listen to my best friend, if, 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 and I've got two quick things to say about that before we get any deeper. The first is this. Did you have a workshop when you were in the eighth grade? Or the seventh oh, grade? no. Did you, were you taught the eight early signs of intimate partner abuse? No, we didn't talk about it at all. Absolutely not. How are you supposed to know? This isn't like, oh, I'm kind of good at cooking. This isn't like I taught myself to play guitar. This is not something that you teach yourself. This isn't like smart girls line up over here and stupid girls line up over there. This has nothing to do with your intellect or your worth whatsoever. Mm -hmm. This is the shame is in our society. Mm -hmm. The shame is that we haven't come together as a nation, as a world and said, hey, we have these delicate little human beings and uh, they're going to head out and meet somebody and maybe they'll figure it out. Maybe they won't. And, and that is so unfair. It just, when you're talking, it just really hit me. You know, I'm an intelligent person, you know, I saw a healthy relationship in my parents, but I can look back at my past from high school on, I was in abusive relationships, but because I was in one and that's when I just, I just thought that's what a relationship looked like. So when it happened the next time I was like, well, that's just what a relationship is. I didn't know what a healthy relationship was and I hadn't been taught. You don't, there's what you know, you don't know. I know for sure that I don't know how to play the piano. There's what you don't know and you don't even know you don't know it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the real blind spot. And, you know, I always look at it this way. When your kids get to a certain age, they go to driver's ed. And any good parent will tell you that they're up all night. Ah, <laughs> you know, the first time a teenager gets their hands on the, on the wheel. You have to go to school. You have to take classes. You have to pass a test. And uh, even you have to keep passing your license test if you get older. You, the thing is, you would never send your kids out in a car and say, just drive around a few blocks. You're smart. You'll figure it out. 
why are we letting our kids take their hearts and minds and bodies and souls out for a spin? Yeah. So what should we teach them? What are those bullet points that we need to oh my goodness. get out there? There we go. <laughs> now, I just, I'd like to just set it up with a fact. Two quick facts. The Center for Disease Control, God love them, says anything that can be predicted can be prevented. 98% of individuals who attend any type of seminar or class on intimate partner abuse are able to recognize the signs and reject that relationship. I know this for a fact because I give a list of thousands and thousands of these workshops and I've had people show up on the next workshop to the class behind them and say, Aaron, I got into college and I met this guy and he was calling me and calling me and I was asleep. And when I woke up, there were 17 text messages and he was so angry with me because I didn't answer the phone. And she said, I started thinking about your workshop. So she started paying attention and there were a lot of signs that started cropping up pretty quickly and she didn't pursue the relationship. And she said, I never would have known. I never would have known if you hadn't come to my school. Wow. Mm-hmm. So school, you know, I've got Fortune 500 companies, churches, by the way, just need to get it out there. Everyone. I say he and she a lot. Everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. This has no gender. Every gender can be the victim or the instigator. Exactly. So having said that, we realized that there's a very distinct pattern. And if you know those early signs, what you probably don't realize that intimate partner abuse very often does not include any physical violence. Many survivors have told me that that would make it easier. It's because you could say, you just hit me? Mm-mm. But intimate partner abuse is a pattern of behavior that allows one person to gain power and control over another, a pattern of behavior. So not that uh, I got a little jealous because your ex-wife showed up to the wedding and she looked really pretty. And I was like, do you love me? Nothing <laughs> about her. No, 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 no. We're talking about like a pattern of jealousy where you're in trouble for what you wore. You're in trouble for whoever you spoke to. You're in trouble for that photo you put up on Instagram that there was a member of the opposite sex. You're in trouble because you're too close to your brother. You're just always in trouble and it's always a problem and it's always your fault and you have got to fix it. It's that pattern of control of where you're going. And at first it seems really cute. Like, oh, you're just jealous because you love me. Two, need to call me when you got there. How come you didn't call me when you got there? You said you were leaving, but you didn't tell me when you were leaving. Did you stop somewhere before you came home? And at first blush, I've had thousands of people say to me, I just felt like he or she just really loved me. Yeah, they really cared. They were invested in your safety and your well-being. Right. So please understand that, um, you know, none of us is perfect. And uh, we're all going to, you know, make some mistakes in relationships. But we are specifically talking about a pattern happens and then it happens again and it happens again. And how do you know it's a pattern? Because you can't be yourself. Like maybe it's just easier. I'm, I'm just going to recall uh, an instance from my own life. My fiance paid for my cell phone. This is way back in the day. And I didn't realize that he could see every phone call I make, which wouldn't have bothered me anyway, because what am I up to? Nothing. He lived far away. 
and uh, I had this great girlfriend. She was so fun. Her name was Lily. And Lily was a fox and every guy wanted her. And we would go out and boom, all these guys would be around her. And she was just really fun. We would exercise and she was from the South. She had that fabulous accent that you ladies have. She'd be like, listen, Aaron, y'all. Like, oh <laughs> Loved her. Well, he hated her. Mm-hmm. Hated her. Uh, because he thought that. I was going to get into trouble being out with her. So he said, I don't want you being friends with her anymore. Now this is my fiance and he lives far away and he's already been jealous, 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 controlling, jealous, jealous, controlling, but I'm just getting used to it by now. So I think I'm going to be real clever and just not say where I'm really going. Oh, I'm going out with Sherry when I'm really going out with Lily. Right. So right there, I can't even tell the truth because it's just going to be drama. Right. Well, one day my phone didn't work. So I had to call him on my landline. Remember those things? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone born in the 60s or 70s listening to this, you remember landline, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And uh, I said, my phone is off. And he said, oh, is it sweets? I said, yeah. He said, gosh, I guess guess the bill wasn't paid. I said, are are you going to pay it? He said, I don't know. Are you going to stop hanging out with Lily? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's controlling in a bad way. Yeah. Right now, did I get punched? Did I nope. get shoved into a wall? No. 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 But that went on for two years. And by the end of that relationship, I had zero friends. Zero. I'd lost all my money. Mm-hmm. I'd lost me. I don't, where'd she go? Right. right. Yep. And I am pretty sure that our last conversation was him trying to trick me into coming to stay with him so that he could hurt me. Oh, gosh. You know when you get that um, sick feeling in your stomach? Mm-hmm. He said, oh, sweetie, I have all your Christmas presents here. Don't you want your Christmas presents? And I thought, what? <laughs> Give <laughs> right. them to the homeless. What? Set them on fire. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, this man had never raised a voice or used a cuss word. And I said, you know, I think I need a little break. I think I just need some time to stop and think about, you know, my life and what I'm doing. And his voice changed in a way I never heard. And he said, you get your little effing ass on that flight today. And I didn't. Good for you. Good for you. And the next morning I woke up and I had a real bad feeling in my stomach. So I got my locks changed, which is very expensive. It was like $175. This was back in the nineties, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, my locks started rattling a few hours later. He had taken an overnight flight and was trying to break into my house. Wow. Mm -hmm. So you heard that and you you listened to your inner voice that said, "Uh uh-uh, this is not going to be safe. Anybody listening need to listen to that inner voice. If your mother says, don't be crazy. And your best friend says, I think you're just exaggerating. And your dad says, well, I think he's a good guy. You should just give him a chance. But you have a bad feeling. I would rather that you follow the bad feeling and you are eh, wrong. Okay, you'll work it out somehow. Then eh, you were right and you should have, but you didn't. And, you know, now I'm reading about you in the newspaper. Yes. And we, you you know, you use the term intimate partner abuse and the intimate really describes it well, because unless you are in an intimate relationship with this person, 
you don't really know what is happening behind the scenes. So I can tell you something's happening, but from the outside, everything may look like roses. On the inside, in that intimate relationship, in the words that pass between two people or the looks or the tone of voice, the body language, it all is there. Well, let's talk about the setup. And I, and I know that you're familiar with this, so I know you're going to have a lot to say about this. So for y'all who are listening, it's really important to understand that an abuser is covert. So an abuser is all smiles and jokes and let me help you with this and let me do that for you. This is the head of PTA. This is a successful business person. This person's MO is to be liked and needed, liked and needed, liked and needed. So they will go out of their way to appear to be wonderful. Abuse happens behind closed doors. Once the door closes, then it's a, you're an idiot. I thought I told you to shut your mouth. Or even worse, and this happens quite a bit, is uh, you're having a pretty good day and you're going out to see your whole family for Christmas. And that covert narcissistic abuser will pick a fight with you knowing that you're going to get emotional because the difference between you and abuser, abusers can, and this has been documented, by the way, they can turn it off real quick. So there are court-ordered classes for people convicted of domestic abuse, and they joke with each other about how, oh, yeah, and then the cops showed up, and uh, she looked all hysterical and crazy, and I just got all calm, and the officers were like, we're sorry you had to deal with this. Wow. They know how to wind you up. So then you all go out, and you are left holding this bag of emotions that you were deliberately poked, you know, like a bee's, you know. Right. And so you're obviously upset. You're trying to regain your emotions. And everybody's like, oh, you know, that Aaron, every time we go out for anything family related, she's always in a bad mood. What am I going to do? Walk in and say, I just want everybody to know I'm being abused. And then you started to fight with me. And then it's like, oh, so yeah, you're dragging bad times into Christmas. You somehow always wind up being the bad guy. This is deliberate. This isn't like, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. Yeah. And it's, I feel like it starts out small. It's a little something here and it's a little something there. And I feel like what happens is you start to make these little excuses. You start to let this little behavior slide or that word or that hurtful comment starts to slide to the point where then it becomes way more. It's happening more frequently. The words are getting worse. The behaviors are getting worse. But because you started making excuses for it when these behaviors were small, then as it escalates, you've already been trained to make excuses for it. Listen, it's human nature. I want everybody listening to understand that the brain is very powerful and very mysterious. And this is no different than the first time you have a bite of sugar and say, "Mm, (laughs) I need another and I need another. And then you say, I don't think sugar is good for me, but it can't be that bad for me. Everybody's eating it and you just keep eating it and you gain a little more weight, you gain a little more weight and then your face is a little inflamed and then your thyroid's a little off. Like, Go ahead and tell someone, don't ever eat sugar again. You know, it's bad for you. Right. That's not going to happen because it's really, really important to understand that the brain is hardwired to adjust. It's almost like we normalize what's uncomfortable. We normalize what isn't good because it isn't that bad. So we've 
you need to really think about intimate partner abuse like uh, heroin addiction or smoking cigarettes or watching too much TV or social media. Your brain is hijacked, literally. It, it brain is plastic, right? That means that the way you learn the car, you have to keep doing it over and over again. So you create those new neural pathways. So your mind remembers it. Your mind does that with everything, with friendships, with the foods that you eat. In the one hand, you become numb to something once it happens a lot. And on the other hand, you can't walk away. It's very cruel and misinformed to say that someone should just leave right. that abusive relationship. So you sent us a pamphlet before we recorded today about the eight signs of abuse. And I really think those are super important to get into. Do you want to just go over those really quick? No, Um, I'm glad you asked that. I'm going to just pop through them real quick. And then if we have time, let's see. I feel like a lot of these things happen and people just think this is normal behavior and they don't recognize that a lot of this is abusive behavior. Okay, here we go. Uh, I just want to remind everybody listening that intimate partner abuse is gaining power and control through repeated negative behaviors that limit, diminish, or endanger another person's life. So you have to hide who you're hanging out with, or you have to ask first before you take that job, or you you just say to your sister, it's better if I just meet you at her house. I mean, just you can't be you. From the little things to I'm afraid to leave because I'm afraid what is going to happen to me, uh-huh. right? That is really, somebody's really in control of your life. So here we go. I'm just going to roll through this. And I want you all to know that it is on our website. You know, you can uh, go back and revisit this and there's resources there, you know, phone numbers you can call. So don't feel like you've got to sort of absorb it all right here. I will have all those links in our show notes. Oh, wonderful. All right, here we go. Intensity, lies or exaggerates, insists that you move in, get married or have kids like really quickly in the relationship, trying to win over your friends and family and over the top gestures like super expensive gifts or dates, extreme love letters. Basically, this is being swept off your feet. Every person who's ever been in an abusive relationship, if I say, well, how was it in the beginning? 100% of the time they say, oh, well, they just swept me right off my feet. And, you know, you always have that family member that says, oh, I don't know. You know, I don't trust someone who's trying so hard. And you think, oh, zip it. You're just trying to ruin my fun. (laughs) (laughs) And they turn out to be the, the one who knew. Bombards you with messages, phone calls, obsesses over you and or even follows you. Jealousy. Be completely irrational if you got a promotion or a job or a new friend, or becoming super angry or, or like quiet and withholding affection because you spoke to someone of the opposite sex, always accusing you of cheating, accusing you of wanting somebody else, being so angry that you have friendships or activities or that you like your coworkers, always wanting to know every private detail of your life as a proof of your love and your trustworthiness and absolutely resenting your boundaries. You wouldn't say or do that if you really loved me. Mm -hmm. You are not allowed to have a boundary or a secret or a separate activity controlling you. I know what you're all thinking. I would never let anybody control me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. Guess what? You wouldn't as long as you're in your right mind. But when you're in a relationship, you're sort of not in your right mind. 
because you fall in love and your brain lights up with the feel-good chemicals, right? Endorphins and 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 you know what happens? You want more. Right. And you don't want it to get in the way of it. Somebody, I don't remember who said it. I heard it somewhere. They said, love is a mental illness. <laughs> <laughs> like when you're falling in love, like you know you're what? just not With even the in wrong the right person mind. Or for the wrong reasons it is. And by the way, these relationships will always happen, usually in a state of vulnerability. Like you're in high school and you're the new kid. Or you really got bullied a lot. And so you feel, you know, I'm just going to say the L word. You feel like a little bit of a loser. Not that you'd ever admit it. But, oh, somebody's paying a lot of attention to you and following you and wants to be with you all the time. And if you have any hurt in your heart that you know or don't know about, that is going to feel very important right. to you. Uh, you just got divorced or you lost your job. Or- and it looks like those fairy tale movies that we see that end up with the happy ending where people, you know, find love and it's beautiful. That's how these these bad relationships will start. You're like, this is the fairy tale, but it's not. Jen, you are so right. We have promoted for, oh, by the way, so this brings up a great, if you're not wondering what to watch tonight, there's a movie with Ingrid Bergman called Gaslight. Yes. Okay. You've watched it? Yeah, I'm familiar with that. And that concept of gaslighting. You've heard of gaslighting before, Sherry. Oh, well, sure. That's where it came from. from Well, please watch this film because basically in a nutshell, And again, Ingrid Bergman, her character was very vulnerable. She lost a family member. She was all alone in the world. And Gregory came to Ferdy Larry-Hair. And, you know, he just wanted her money. So he um, would dim the lights whenever he was out of the house and do other things to make her think that she had lost her mind and couldn't trust her own senses. Right? Gaslighting. It's a great film. Uh, It's pretty old-fashioned, but it's... Anyway, isolation, you know, I'm the only one you need. By the way, ladies, we don't have a ton of time, but I just want to share that in all the years uh, working in this field, I've had every type of individual you can imagine, state prosecutors, housewives, CEOs, executives, students, all ages, share with me the most hair-raising stories and I just don't want anyone to feel that they are alone or to feel that something is wrong with them, that they experienced behaviors, didn't go running out the door right away. You didn't let yourself down. You know, honestly, we're being let down (laughs) by our own society and school systems by not taking this seriously and not sort of, I'm going to use this word, inoculating our children against abuse, you know? We say, oh, don't get in the car with a stranger. Well, we need to take it a little further than that. So I had a wonderful woman working um, with us a few years ago. She was so smart and tough. She left home when she was 16 and had always had like two jobs. And she was amazing. And I remember her saying to me, oh, Aaron, you know, my boyfriend in college, I never had a boyfriend before. When we were together on the weekends, he would answer my phone and say, whoever this is, she's busy and hang up. And she said, my friends would be so irritated. And I would say, oh, you know, he just loves me so much. Well, I'm going to fast forward because he exhibited almost every one of these behaviors. She had to leave the country Wow, for nine months, nine months. She had to go live in a foreign country, nine months to shake the stalking and the threats and the fear. 
I'm the only one you need, making a scene just because you're about to go to school or work, resenting, even hating your loved ones, manipulating you into emotional, psychological, or financial dependence, cutting off your friends, your family, your own children, forbidding you to go places or speak to anyone, or basically just making your life so uncomfortable that it's easier to not right. see your friends, see your family, take that job, go have a drink with your sister, criticizing you, making you feel bad about yourself, calling you terrible names, again, behind closed doors in a fight, and then later, sweetheart, I didn't mean it. Right. But you know what? <laughs> Somebody should not be saying that you are stupid or fat or ugly or crazy or making fun of what you believe. You're making fun of your ambitions. I had one of my own sorority sisters very smart girl at NYU say that she was overseas in England. She met somebody. She was crazy in love with him. She was coming back to the States to start her medical course of study. And he said, babe, you and I both know you're not that smart. Mm -hmm. This is her boyfriend. Because remember, we're talking about this. If somebody just acted this way the first couple of dates, you'd send them packing. Right, right. Nobody walks up to you and says, hi. Um, I'm madly in love with you and I really want to be with you and I'm emotionally disturbed and I'm really abusive and controlling and I'm going to make you feel great for about four or five months and then I'm going to ruin your life. So where do you want to have dinner? Yeah. <laughs> Run with your hair on fire. Ah! Okay. Here's my favorite one. Nobody else would ever love you as much as I love you or nobody else would ever have you because you're not pretty enough, thin enough, smart enough. So you should just be lucky to have me. And you know, Sherry, you're so gorgeous. <laughs> so we all know how goofy that was. But when you're in it, it's like being in a box, okay? You're inside of this box. And on the outside of the box are all these words, criticism and jealousy and intensity, all these behaviors. And other people can see it. And you're in this box. And you just, you're, I don't know what you're talking about. I understand you heard a podcast about domestic abuse, but this isn't that, right? And uh, I mean, even talking about how the incidents that happen in childhood that prime us for this type of behavior is an entirely other podcast. I just want you to know that the question here should not be, what is wrong with me? Right. The question here should be, well, I wonder what happened to me because I've met lots of people. One of my dearest friends, she said, I had a great childhood. Now, I've known her now for five or six years. She actually sits on my board. And now, knowing me, reading this book that I've written, being a part of these workshops, her eyes are so open. And she says, wow, I had a really abusive childhood. Just because your parents sent you to a great school and you always wore beautiful sweaters and, and you got a car when you turned 16 and your parents stayed married doesn't mean nothing ever happened to you that altered how you see yourself in the world. So again, whole other, just as, so that everyone listening knows, it's not what's wrong with me. It's well, what happened to me? Because trust me, if you have ever been in an abusive relationship, something did happen and it primed you for this without your knowledge, okay? So it's not stupidity, it's just a lack of education. So we're gonna move right along. Oh, no one cares about you, saying you're a terrible parent, brainwashing you to feel worthless and unlovable. And no matter how beautiful and smart and wonderful you are, it's almost like 
the more you care and the more loving you are and the smarter you are, the harder you will fall for this. And again, that's probably another conversation for another day. But if you've been in an abusive relationship, you are probably smart, probably hardworking. You probably take on a lot of people's problems and you pride yourself on being a good listener and solver, problem solver. You're loyal. You care very much about people. You don't want anyone to be hurt. And uh, you're a fixer. You just, you work on stuff. You make it better. That's who you are. Okay. So let's just get that straight. Sabotage. Starting a fight or having a meltdown to make you make your, miss your important events, right? To make life difficult for you before a big meeting or before an exam or, you know, really important, anything important in your life, achieving your dreams. They're jealous or needy whenever you seem to be doing really well. They hide your money, your keys, your phone, steal or destroy your belongings and gaslight you to make you doubt and question yourself. Again, reminding you, this is someone you're already in love with. This isn't a stranger where you can say, (laughs) I don't think so. You are emotionally invested. There are chemicals active in your brain that are urging you to work it out rather than run. Okay, blame. You, you are the reason for their bad behavior, their aggressiveness, their destructiveness, their jealousy, their moodiness, their sleeping with somebody else. They blame the entire world for their endless misfortunes and problems. So, boy, when I look back, you want to be really careful if you're in a relationship with somebody who complains a lot about the people they were with before. Right. People who are like, oh, you know, she was this or he was that. And they go on and on and on and on. Or It's just always someone else's fault, no matter what it is, whether they lost your job or you really want to be with somebody who's capable of saying, I think I really screwed up. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's a big red flag then if they're blaming past relationships, the other person. Yeah. They're going to be blaming, they're going to be blaming you. And they will suck you into it and make you their co-conspirator because, you know, I've, I've been friends with women who are like, oh, you know, his or her ex was just horrible and did this and that to him. And well, I'm like, well, um, how do you know? <laughs> And why are you getting involved? And that person turned out to be incredibly abusive. And she just, she didn't want to hear it, even knowing what I do for a living, because she just didn't want to give up what she imagined she had. Okay, so manipulates you into feeling guilty, saying you're sorry, or thinking that you're at fault, threatening suicide, because you want to leave. That's a lot of people do that. And it's awful. I'm going to kill myself. My life will be ruined. You owe me give me another chance. You know, my own father came back to my mother many times and said, just give me another chance. I can't live without you and the girls. And my mother would take us back and I would wind up hiding under the bed while he beat her up and holding on to, you know, my little sister's hand. It was awful. But, you know, I remember I asked her once, oh, it was something that we never discuss. So, you know, I was born in the sixties and this is about as taboo as it gets. And it's also something that people say, like, well, kids don't remember. You know, they were too little. Uh, I asked my mother once, one of the rare times we spoke about this, you know, why did you always take him back? And she said, I didn't want to be mean. I didn't want to be a bad person to just not even give him another chance. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, this goes to just our society, self-esteem, and don't be selfish, 
And also, again, things happen in our childhood that make us the fixers or the ones that feel that we are the root of problems. And so we must fix them, right? My mother was not able to say, that, that has nothing to do with me. This isn't mine to fix. Right. This is not mine to fix. And by the way, 99.999999% of the time, abusers move on and they find somebody else to suck into a relationship. They are not going to fold in on themselves without you. They might look like it for two weeks or two months, go crazy and send you a million letters. And, you know, you think, oh my God, I hope they're okay. Or, you know, appear to spiral. And you know what that is? That's going crazy because they're not in control. Exactly. Not because you're not there. Exactly. You're you're winning because in their sick mind, she's winning or he's winning. Yes. He's being happy without me. He's moving on without me. Ah so, so that's also a sense of control. The the behavior is designed to make you feel guilty for those choices you're making now that are, you know, shutting them out. Uh-huh. Right. You know, so blame is a big part of it. And if you've got a good heart and you're a decent human being, you're at a high risk for being sucked into making this right or giving somebody another chance over your own comfort because you don't want to break someone's heart. Trust me, you're not breaking an abuser's heart. You're breaking their ego. You're shattering their ego. An abuser is never in love with you. They are in love with you being in love with them. Oh, that's big. Mm-hmm. All right, it is Lane, big. I know, you got real quiet there. Woo! You are the reason for their behaviors and you made me do this, right? Never saying, I'm sorry, that was my fault, unless it's to suck you back in. Right. Anger. Have you ever been angry, Jen? Um, No, never. I'm always happy. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> yeah, we all get angry. Sherry, have you ever been angry? Oh, yeah. Ever- angry this is the human condition you know uh somebody runs over your foot at the supermarket with a but you go ah, ah, what, what, ah, <laughs> then you gotta say okay it wasn't on purpose calm down <sighs> gonna have a good day anyway all right but anger as a pattern remember in the very beginning we said gaining power and control through repeated negative behaviors that cause you to limit diminish your own life or behaviors or that puts another person's life in danger overreacting to small problems, frequently losing control, like punching the wall, kicking things, mood swings, happy-go-lucky one minute, and then like sullen and weird and dark the next minute. Violent outbursts, not necessarily at you, right? By the way, it's never at you. So, you know, I was in a very abusive relationship, obviously, and my boyfriend was awesome. Everyone loved him. Oh my gosh. Everywhere we went, he was the mayor of every place we went. He was beloved. And, uh, you know, the first time I saw him lose control, he was um, competing. When you compete on horses and you jump, you make jumps. The horse, he was actually doing something really wrong to the horse and brought the horse up short in front of a very high jump. And the horse was like, "Uh uh-uh. And he fell off and he turned around and got up. I thought he was just going to jump back on. And he punched that horse right in the face. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. In front of thousands of people. But he would never punch right. me. And then, you know, a little while later, he is the man of the family. Eight sisters and he's the youngest boy. Having an argument with some younger sister about family finances and a, and a beautiful estate that they own. And, and I heard her crying and crying. And he came in all anxious. And I said, well, what, what happened? Why is she crying? He said, I had to hit her. Oh. oh, goodness. Now, I'm not saying that I thought this was okay. I was very disturbed. But um, I mean, he worshiped the ground I walked on. 
And so y'all know the end of the story, so we don't have to get into it. So what do women do if they are men? What what does someone do if they recognize these eight signs in their partner and they're really invested in this relationship, but they're like, oh, I have the intensity, the jealousy, the control, isolation, criticism, sabotage, blame, anger. Yes, yes, yes. What do they do? Well, that brings me actually to the last sentence of anger, which is uh, makes you feel afraid to stay or makes you feel afraid to leave. Right. And says, you'll be sorry. Before I answer your question, it's really important that you know that this is not normal. When people say something like this, you need to take it very seriously. Even if somebody has never laid a finger on you, it is not normal to say, you're going to be sorry. I've never said that to anybody in the worst argument I've ever had. Have you? Well, I've said it to my children. <laughs> if you do that again, you're going to be really sorry. And and then they probably did it again. And then they were sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. I love you. <laughs> Different situations. I love you so much. Um, Just just know that this is my job, right? So if I was in your office and you were my dentist and you said, listen, you've got a cavity and it's all the sugar you eat. I'm not going to argue with you. Say, okay, let's get that filling. And I'm telling you as a professional that when somebody says, you're going to be sorry, I'm going to make you regret this, or don't you ever leave me, or I say when it's over, you need to take this as serious as anything. It's not normal. It's signaling to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you see all of these signs. The first thing that you need to do is you need to admit to yourself that you're in an abusive relationship. And that's Just probably it. one of the hardest steps. It is the hardest step because the rest of the steps after that, you can ask for help. Mm-hmm. You can move, you can leave, you can, you can go into a domestic violence shelter, which by the way, is not what you think it is. It's not like a cot in a basement. It's a room where you are safe and your children and maybe even your pet and no one can find you and you'll have a good night's sleep for the first time in who knows how many years while people help you get an apartment and start your life over because that's what they're there for. But you have got to at least be able to say, I admit that all of those signs or most of them are present in my relationship. And uh, yes, the person that I love or need or I'm afraid of, or just, I don't want to leave is in fact abusive. No, it is not my fault. No, I didn't ask for it. No, I didn't wake up one day when I was five years old and say, when I grow up, I really want to be abused. You know, this is not every child's dream. You need to understand that you're not alone. I can't even tell you how many flights or, or train rides I've been on or walking into a bank or standing in line at the gym to get a bottle of water. It's everybody. Yeah, and I want to just say a couple of things. One, be prepared. If you decide to walk away, be prepared. It could actually get worse before it gets better. So I just feel like it's not so much as like, I'm going to walk away and everything's going to be fine. No, you have to be prepared to work at this. And two, even if your partner has never been physically abusive to you, the minute they feel like they are losing control, that switch can flip. Mm -hmm. And not only can that switch flip, you, you've got to understand that this is not a, they are no longer rational. Okay. When you say, you know what, I'm going to leave something in their brain actually flips and they become desperate because for them, you are the light and you are taken off for them. It's life or death because 
what motivates an abuser is the emptiness inside that is only soothed by being in control. So you leaving isn't the same to a rational person who just says, well, I guess this relationship has run its course. Things haven't been good for a while. It hurts, but you know, it is what it is. You know, what can I do? That's rational. This is not rational. You're leaving someone who is abusive. So for them, it is life or death. You leaving is like them losing the thing that makes them feel alive. And the thing that makes them feel better is to do something violent or over the top, something that jacks up, you know, the adrenaline or jacks up the fear because it makes them feel like they're significant again. If you're scared of them, they're significant. If your family's afraid, they're significant. Just for them hearing, no, it's over, I'm finished, I'm done, is you may as well say, you don't matter in this world because that's what they're hearing. Or, you know, I, it's not rational. So please don't think that they're just gonna, and they might say, okay. And that's a cover up to just buy some time about they're going to get you back or make you very sad that you didn't come back. So the first 12 weeks are the most dangerous. And that is when roughly 85% of violent incidents happen. I know you're listening to this and you're a decent person. So when they say, I just want to talk, or I just want to give you back your records, or, you know, I just want to go and finish, you know, your mom's painting, your mom's garage. Like I said, I would, the answer is no. And people will say, you are so mean. You know, gosh, you're being awfully hard and you need to know (laughs) that nobody loves you as much as you love you. Even if you're my best friend, I love you so much and I'm always looking out for you. I can't look out for you better than you can look out for you. So if Jen and Sherry tell me right now, Aaron, I know you're upset, you know, but he's done a lot of great things for the kids and everybody deserves a goodbye. And I don't want Sherry and Jen to be mad at me and think I'm awful, but I'm going to say, well, I love you guys. I have to do what I know in my heart is right for me. Absolutely. Because Jen and Sherry might not be with me when I come out of work in the parking lot and my ex is there with a gun or a car to run me over. I, I, my life, right? So that's where you got to get really, you just have to put on your self-love boots in a way that you never have and say, I deserve life. I matter. I matter to me. I matter to my mom. Gosh, do it for your own parents or the people who love you. If you can't do it for yourself, don't fall into that trap of just see me one more time. Okay. Well, Aaron, this has been so informative and, you know, it's a tough subject. And I know a lot of people, as we said at the beginning, are going to recognize, you know, maybe their own relationship, maybe a, a relative's relationship, or maybe it'll help them, you know, in the future, see the signs before it's too late. So how can people find you? Where's the best way? Tell us about your website again. Um, You asked me that. Just before we wrap this up, I just really want to drive this home that you're not alone. It's not your fault. You didn't ask for it. You're not stupid. And you need to really get some help. I mean, I know that everybody listening is tough and smart and I can handle my own problems. This is not one of those things. So if the only thing you do today is just tell somebody, I've had 80-year-old women say, you're the only person I've ever told. Goodness gracious. You know, we love you, whoever's listening. We love you. We believe you and you matter to us. So if you can't tell someone in your family, tell us. So you can um, find us online. We are We Care 
org and under resources a lot of you might have questions and just look under those resources and it's all there for you you can always call 1-800-799-9999 and you could call because it's your sister or your mom who's in trouble or you can just call and say i don't even know what to ask i just need help and there you will find a kind voice on the other line and if you want a workshop then just visit our website or message us on instagram which is also at we are, we care, and it could be a church group, and it could be a whole bunch of young boys or whoever, but I feel that every human being on this planet deserves to know the truth about abuse, to at least have a chance to be able to make an informed decision. That's what we deserve. And God bless you so much for opening up this conversation because the two of you are the light shiners here. Thank you. We're so glad that you were here. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast, Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes the highest quality products available for every budget and lifestyle. Sherry and I both love that with a membership to Thrive Market, we have access to the foods and products that we're looking for. They have a carefully curated product selection that can be filtered by more than 70 dietary and lifestyle needs. Like, for example, if you're looking for something that's organic, you can click that. Or if you have even something, you know, a specialty as autoimmune protocol, you can filter by all those different terminologies. They also offer members-only deals, rewards, and free full-size product gifts. You can stock your pantry with staples, snacks, and family-safe cleaning products and pet supplies at prices that are likely cheaper than you can get in your regular store. In my last order, I tried a bunch of new things. It was so much fun, Sherry. I felt like I was <laughs> like on a shopping spree. And, you know, I was trying to get to the order over $49 uh-huh. to get it for free. And I kept adding stuff. And I'm like, well, I'm still only at $30. And that was just kind of amazing how many things I was able to get with my, my $49 order. I got these crackers, these sourdough crackers that are just delicious that I, I've never seen locally. I also got a really good organic taco seasoning mix. Like I didn't realize that Thrive Market has their own branded stuff. I guess it's like, you know, their generic version, whatever, but it was so good and such a great value. Good. I make my own, which is kind of a pain, but I might have to try theirs because sometimes I'm short on time. Yeah. And so, you know, for it was like a dollar something. And you just, for the, the little pouch, and I just threw it in there. It was fabulous. And there was also a brand of crackers that I can find locally, but it was cheaper at Thrive Market than it is in my local store. So win-win. So you get all of this as a member for less than $5 a month and all orders over $49 ship for free. And like me, you'll probably be surprised at how much you can get in there for $49. So find out more at lifelessonscommunity.com slash Thrive Market. When you use our link found there, it helps support the podcast. Next, we have a segment that we call our listener-led lesson. It might be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Trudy. Here's what Trudy says. If I have to read an expiration date on an item and it's really hard to read, I only want to have to do it once. So I take a Sharpie or even a freezer label and put the date on it. Also, if I've opened a jar of something like marinara sauce, I'll write the date I opened it on there. Cooking for two sometimes causes lots of open jars. Oh, I get it. 
you have that same problem, Sherry. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, when did I open that jar of marinara oh, sauce? Where's pineapple from? <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's see. So she says, I do it on canned goods, boxed things, and salad dressings. The date on my salad dressing is written in black ink on a dark blue lid, and it's really hard to read, so I'll put a label on it with the expiration date. I usually write on the top of my yogurt containers, too, when I buy them. Nancy also had that same suggestion, like for cartons of broth when you first open them, because, you you know, you might not need the whole carton. And Sandra suggests doing the same thing for your yeast if you're a baker. I actually keep my yeast in the freezer. I get a big thing of yeast and put it in the freezer, and I probably should put a date on there because I don't think it lasts forever in the freezer, but I know it makes it last longer. Yeah, you know, some of these tips that we get are just like you read them and you're like, wow, that's a no-brainer. Why Why have I never thought of that? Right. Absolutely. I mean, I swear, I just told my husband the other day, the worst thing about being 47 is my eyes are not like they used to be. It's so frustrating. And I have noticed lately, they write the yogurt date so tiny and on the darkest print and you're trying to find the right light at the right distance to read it. So, I mean, that's great. Grab a Sharpie and write on the top of it. There it is. You got it. Yeah. Yep. Well, at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. And today we have a motivational story from Beverly. It goes like this. A young woman went to her mother and told her about her life and how things were so hard for her. She did not know how she was going to make it and she wanted to give up. She was tired of fighting and struggling. It seemed as one problem was solved, a new one arose. Her mother took her to the kitchen. She filled three pots with water and put them on the stove. Soon the pots came to a boil. In the first pot, she placed carrots. In the second, she placed eggs. And in the last, she placed ground coffee beans. She let them sit and boil, and 20 minutes later, she turned off the burners. She removed the carrots and placed them in a bowl. She pulled the eggs out and placed them in a bowl. Then she ladled the coffee out and placed it in a bowl. Turning to her daughter, she said, tell me, what do you see? Carrots, eggs, and coffee, she replied. Her mother asked her to feel the carrots. She did and noted that they were soft. The mother then asked the daughter to take an egg and break it. After pulling off the shell, she observed the hard-boiled egg. Finally, the mother asked the daughter to sip the coffee. The daughter smiled as she smelled the aroma and tasted its rich flavor. The daughter then asked, what does it mean? Her mother explained that each of these objects had faced the same adversity, boiling water. Each reacted differently. The carrot went in strong, hard, and unrelenting. However, after being subjected to the boiling water, it softened and became weak. The egg had been fragile. Its thin outer shell had protected its liquid interior. But after sitting through the boiling water, its inside became hardened. The ground coffee beans were unique, however. After they were in the boiling water, they had changed the water, making it fragrant and giving it flavor. Which are you? She asked her daughter. When adversity knocks on your door, how do you respond? Are you a carrot, an egg? or a coffee bean. What about you? When facing a challenge in life, are you weakened and feel defeated by the experience? Or do you become hardened and bitter because of the event? Or do you see as an opportunity to influence those around you to make a positive difference to leave the situation better than when you started? It is possible to be the latter. So now is the time to start working towards it. Oh, that's a beautiful analogy. I love that story. I do too. That was great. 
All right. Well, this has been a really, I think, important episode. And again, thank you to Erin for being here with us. And thank you listeners for joining us today. Um, If you haven't already, join our Facebook community. It's called Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast through whatever podcast um, app you like to use. And we would also love for you to leave a review um, through Apple iTunes so that we can reach others or, you know, through the Apple podcast app. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise like Erin this week that you would like to share as our featured guest and help us present our weekly life lesson? If so, email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.